Hey, Shannon. Ugh, why is Johnny such a pain? Well, Mary, maybe you'd think of him differently if you recognized that he was hiding a big secret he can't read. This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. This is episode 13, Recognizing a Struggling Reader. Hi, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for over 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and choosing just right activities to fill those gaps. I've met a lot of struggling readers over the years. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, I'm Mary Sagafi. I'm a reading tutor. I've taught in all elementary grades as a special education teacher and as a regular education teacher. I have Orton-Gillingham training, and I've been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for 10 years. I love talking all things teaching, and I believe that humor goes a long way when asking students and teachers to do hard things, like learning to read. I'm excited to share with Shannon and learn along with all of you. So one of the first resources I made when I started sharing what I know about teaching reading was something called a struggling reader behavior checklist. Um, and I made it just to share with teachers that I work with as well as teachers in other schools, um, about how to recognize when those students are in your rooms, because sometimes you might not even know that a struggling reader is in your room. They are very good at hiding the big secret that they can't read. They have so many coping behaviors that they have honed over the years that, um, Sometimes they fool us until we sit down with them and get a running record. So I, most of my career has been spent um, working as a reading intervention teacher. And my specialty was working with like the third, fourth, and fifth graders in the upper elementary grades who were on a kindergarten or first grade reading level. So you're well familiar with kids who have a big secret. Yes. So when I made this checklist, I, I, I literally just thought about all of my students over the years and how they acted in the classroom and what I noticed about them. And there are certain patterns that a lot of them do. And you've seen that in the students that you tutor as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I will um, kind of circle back to um, the student that I work with because I've recently been interviewing him as I've started talking to him about how I'm podcasting and talking to people about dyslexia and reading issues. And one of the things that he um, mentioned to me before was that sometimes teachers will recognize girls and boys behaviors differently. And so he'll say that, um, you know, a girl will have good behavior and the teacher easily recognizes it and rewards it quickly. But because he's a boy, he might not be, um, you know, showing out or anything like that, but he doesn't necessarily get recognized even though he's doing the same behavior as the girl. So that's coming from him. So as we're talking about this, I think it's easy to look at some of these behaviors as boisterous behaviors, loud behaviors, or kind of like in-your-face behaviors, and sometimes they're not. 
Um, but we need to be really cognizant that sometimes they're fly under the radar tactics and yes. sometimes they are, um, you know, deflection tactics. Totally true. And when we're talking about struggling readers, we are sort of interchangeably for this episode talking about students who have learned disabilities, like perhaps dyslexia, or a student who, for whatever reason, did not learn to read in kindergarten or first grade, and they have advanced elementary school not reading on grade level. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, we're on the same page as that. On that. So we're going to kind of go through each bullet um, that's on the struggling reader behavior checklist and talk about them and also share some anecdotes that we've seen over the years. And we would love for you guys to join the conversation with us um, on social media and share some of um, your observations about the students in your room as well. Yeah, absolutely. We can all learn from each other. All right. So this is number one because I've seen this a lot. Mm -hmm. um, ask to leave the room often, especially once the independent work starts. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yep. They just don't even want to engage like, Oh, I'm good. Nope. So uh, they want to run the air into the office. They want to go get water very often. They need to go to the restroom often. And it's, it's really, it's not during the lesson. It's sometimes right when you're asking them to do the assignment because oh, they got to get out of there. That's right. Uh, another one that you might see are that they are coloring or drawing um, instead of actually doing their task and working. So all the other students seem to be working and this one is just coloring or drawing. Yes, and then you kind of, they're waiting for you to come around and notice yes. to redirect them to get back on task, but they're going to keep on doing that mm -hmm. until you notice. Yep. I, I don't, I hope you don't mind jump, me jumping in, but I love this one. So they're eagerly completing the copying tasks. So you have them, you know, copying something and they're like, oh, I, I am working as hard as I can right now. Yeah, but I could copy from the board. Okay, I'll do that first part of the task. And look how hard I'm working. And, and sometimes kids are working really hard to copy from the board. We're not necessarily talking about those students right now, but that seems to be the only piece that they're able to complete. Right. And then when they have to do the rest of the work, right, everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. Yep. So um, I've noticed, too, that the student waits until the last possible moment to turn in the assignment. It's at the very end of the class period when they need to turn in the work or right. they're not turning in the homework or a project is due and it's right at the deadline. Because I think they're just hoping that... If they never turn it in, you won't see it, and then nothing will get marked with the red pen. Right, yes. Oh, that that red pen. If there's nothing turned in, then nothing's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's I, just incomplete. Uh, this one is, is one of my favorites, too, where they daydream, and they're just looking away. You're presenting information, and you know that they're just thinking about Fortnite. They're having their own game of Fortnite in their brain. They just don't even want to engage. They are just out on a different planet. Yes, a disengagement. I've really seen that. Um, I had a very interesting group of fifth graders a couple of years ago that just that was just rampant. They were so passive. Mm -hmm. School was just happening to them. Yes, and they were just visitors. They were not willing participants. They were not engaged in their own learning, and we kind of had to have a come to Jesus moment mm -hmm. um, where I really shared their data scores with them in black and white and said, you were in fifth grade, right? You were on a first grade reading level. Let's not, you know, let's not beat around the bush about it. Let's just own it. You were at a first grade reading level. This is the starting point. 
do you want to go to middle school on this reading level or do you want to do the work with me mm-hmm. this year to get you as high up the reading level staircase as we can get you? And I had to break them down a little bit to build them back up. And that might be a little controversial, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of kids are coddled these days emotionally. But I was just some of these kids I'd had in fourth grade and they didn't really make the progress I wanted them to. And mm-hmm. so I really just had to just start the year and say, OK, this is where we are. We are not going to be passive anymore. I'm not going to let you daydream and be passive anymore you were going to be in this and we did strict goal setting that was the year that I did the bead bracelets Mm -hmm. and tried to get 80% mastery and all the skills so that they could see their reading building one skill at a time I think it's essential and you know we're not just talking about um, I mean even if we are talking about kids with ADHD who have some attention issues it, it doesn't really matter. We still have to hold kids accountable for their learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so regardless of how, you know, how we're going to treat that, we can't coddle and we can't just let kids be passive because they, they, you know, they kind of just slid through third grade, fourth grade, got to fifth grade, you know, and they just were just kind of flying under the radar and doing these coping behaviors. Right. And hoping they wouldn't get noticed and they could just, you know, get through the school day and then go home and do things that they preferred doing. I think another piece, and and I've seen this with a number of classes, is that um, the dynamic of the students in the class, if there's more than one, if there's a group of them, they sort of latch on. And then the whole class gets this reputation of being, you know, the, the difficult class or just the passive class or they're, um, you know, the group of students. And I think that, um, Teachers get really fed up with those behaviors, especially when they're inherited and they've already seen, you mm-hmm. know, difficulties and they've heard it from other teachers previously. Oh, just wait until you get this upcoming third grade class. They're they're going to be really difficult. Um, or they get behavior plans or something for RTI, but it might not necessarily be a behavior problem. It right. might be a I'm hiding that I can't read. Right. We want to make issue. sure that we are not only holding kids accountable, but we're really building them up as well. Not coddling, but actually teaching them mm-hmm. and making them responsible for their learning. Well, and once we had that talk and I really was clear about, okay, these are the skills you're missing. Okay, this is the activities we're going to do, and this is how I'm going to measure that you've learned them, and then we're going to do this next and this next. And as, they, as the books got easier and easier for them, they weren't passive for me. They were engaged because it was learning at their developmental level and it was learning that was in small enough pieces that they could master. I love it. I love it. So this goes along. This is another thing on the checklist that goes along with that, Mm -hmm. you know, disengagement. The students um, that are struggling readers will usually rarely or never ask for clarifying directions. You'll have other students that say, oh, is this what we're supposed to do for the assignment? Is this how we're supposed to do it? And with these struggling readers they don't ask those kind of questions until I forced them to. Right. Well, and, and that also goes along with the next point, which is that you, they wait until you or a peer come by. They really, I always call them personal invitations yes. where you have to walk and give the personal invitation and invite them to come and join the group and do their work. <laughs> well, and, and I'm saying would, that with like big eyes, like, Oh, goodness. they would watch you work a sample problem and they would kind of copy the sample problem you'd work. But then, 
they wouldn't work the next problem until you came around. My father-in-law did that to my mother-in-law about the dishwasher. Oh, oh why don't you just show me one more time how you have to do it, how, I, <laughs> how I'm supposed to load it. And I think she fell for that for a couple of years. So. But students are doing that in the classroom. Um, a lot of times they won't ask to go to the library or the media center. Mm-hmm. And when they do go, they will choose extremely inappropriate books just for appearance's sake. So I had some of my students who couldn't read Cat in the Hat checking out the whole Harry Potter series. Right. Oh, yeah. And it felt, for a half second, it felt good that they were clutching that thick book and walking out of the library with the class with it. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I have to push back just a bit because there are, I've worked with some kids who really do need to have Um, that self-esteem boost. However, it comes with a really significant caveat, and that is you have to ensure that if they are holding that big book, it may just be for social purposes, and they need to actually be reading something on a level that they may be hiding, um, but they do need to be practicing an independent level. I really love the high-low readers for kids who kind of fall into this category. High-low readers are books that are high interest but low readability, um, and I, I've found a number of those to recommend. And you can you can Google it. There's a number of different resources. Let's link to some in the show notes, too, because yeah. I can think of some students in my class this year that would need those. Now, I'm not just talking. I'm talking about, you know, kids who are already having some social difficulties fitting in, and they really, uh, you know, want to be proud of this. So there have been rare occasions when I have actually encouraged this. However, the caveat still stands that you have to make sure that they are actually reading independently at a level that's appropriate for them. Um, not just flipping through the pages of the not big just, book. So if right. that's the only reading material that they have. Don't do that. But that's if not they what have, I recommend. But if they have other books. Right. And so especially, I books. find that this is really helpful when parents, um, or, you know, sometimes they'll check out that big book and then they have the audio audible version or the audio book version of it that they're also reading at home. In those circumstances, I might be okay with it. Um, however, if you have a passive kid who is just doing it just to show out and you know that he or she um, is not you know, reading anything at home, they are just kind of tuning out, then you need to have a little come to meeting with them and sit them down. (laughs) Yeah. So I had that, um, just last week with my student, I'm gonna call him Tony. Um, and we had a great reading conference. He is a very beginning reader. He's at level C and we had a great little reading conference where we were working on a book um, written by Margaret Hillard. She writes these awesome sight word readers Mm. and it has a list. It had a list of 40 words in the back. And so we were practicing those 40 words and then we were going into the story and finding them in the sentences and we practiced the book until he got fluent with it. And then he felt so good and he had this big smile on his face. And I said, Oh, doesn't it feel good to read this book? And, He's like, I want to go to the library and get another one. I said, oh, do you remember where you found this book in the library? He said, yes, I know exactly where it was. It was at this place. I'm going to go get another one like that. Five minutes after he left my room, I got a call from the librarian, and she said, why is this student in the chapter book section? Is that his level? He seems confused. He's not sure he wants to get it, but he's not sure. And then she said, as soon as... um, he heard that she was on the phone with me. He ran over to the shelf where he was supposed <laughs> to get the book from and he got the right one. Aww. But 
even after having a very positive experience with a just right book that felt good because he knew some of the words, but then he was also learning some of the words. So it was at his instructional level. Yeah. And even with having that positive experience, the second he got in the library, he still was tempted by those books because he, he, he just wanted to have the other books. And it's reasonable for kids to want that, but you still need to encourage them to get there. Right. And I said, we will get those books at the end of the year. That's what I ended up doing with those fifth graders. I said, look, it doesn't it feel so good at the end of the year when you can get the advanced books and you can open it and actually read it? I said, I will let you get those books later. But a lot of the students in my school don't have books at home. And so right. I send them back to the media center for the books that are on their reading level because they need a lot of minutes reading each day books that are at their level that are not just flipping through the pages of Well, I think that that sort of leads to just a question that we sometimes get from parents, and that is, when I take my kid to the library, how do I know that the book is appropriate? And we'll probably touch on that a little bit later, but... Five-finger rule to me is the fastest and easiest. And we'll link to it, um, but feel free to Google five-finger rule for choosing an appropriate book. It's, It's a quick and easy... But, I mean, it's just you open up to a random page in the book, and every time they struggle with a word, you put up a finger. And if you get five fingers up on one page, then that book is probably too hard. Quick, easy, down yeah, it's not. It's not like some super scientific percentage or anything, but it, it, it's a quick way to check it. Yep. Um, okay, so the other thing I noticed about these kids is that they're really reluctant to write. Or they may have really big ideas. And they can tell you. Oh, they have these elaborate stories that they want to tell you about. But then when you say to write it. Right. And and for me, there's a lot of pieces with the dyslexia component that I could talk about with that. But for this, we're talking about, you know, they're struggling because in order to do the encoding piece, the spelling piece, all of the Mm -hmm. reading has to come first and spelling follows it. And really it should be a simultaneous give and take. But um, if you're really, if you have big ideas and big vocabulary and you're struggling to read, then um, writing is going to be challenging for you. And students will sometimes comment on that. Like when I'm making my anchor charts or doing modeled or shared writing, some of those students will say, gosh, you write so fast, Miss Betts, you write so fast. And I said, well, it's because I don't really have to think about the spelling. Mm-hmm. And they are having to think about the spelling. Even when I say spelling doesn't matter, they're still thinking about the spelling and not right. wanting to write a word down that they know is going to be wrong. Correct. Yes. And, and that's the piece is that so many students just really don't want to be wrong. Yeah. So when you do force them to write, they usually will only produce a few sentences. You're not going to see these long paragraphs of right of expressive language. Um, so another one that's good about flying under the radar, and all of a sudden you're noticing that maybe the student is not spelling sight words correctly. They're consistently misspelling sight words. Especially like the irregular words. Mm-hmm. So look at um, the word said yes. in their writing. Look at the word of in their writing. Who is another Who one. and how they get those confused. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yeah, there's plenty of examples. And then even when they are trying to spell a word, their invented spelling choices just don't make sense. You'll see the first and final consonants. 
it's the vowels that'll just be all over the place. Mm -hmm. There won't be sometimes a rhyme or reason. And then a lot of times you won't see the, the CH, the TH or the SH, the digraphs, Mm -hmm. um, or you won't see the blends in the words like FR at the front or PL at the front. And then the ending blends seems to be really difficult for those students that they won't put those two or three letters together at the end of a word. Very true. Yep. Um, I've seen some um, kids who have been struggling who do have diagnoses, uh, and I have seen some very big tantrums, some very, 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 very big tantrums. They've reached their frustration. Yeah, absolutely, even at the kindergarten level. Wow. um, You know, crying, throwing things. Um, And when it gets to that point, you know that there are some really critical things that have to get into place, behavior plans. Um, you know, making sure that there's conferences with families, dif- discussing the difficulties. And usually when it comes to that point, there's a lot of building up that has to happen. Now, parents have also told me about big tantrums that happen at home. And if home is the kid's safe place, you're going to see tantrums when things are hard. And so you're going to, um, there are some parents who I talk with who cannot work with their kids with homework. It's, it is like, just absolutely the worst whatever they say doesn't go um and in that case sometimes a tutor is a valuable resource for your family to live in peace <laughs> that makes sense uh, and, and that if that's available to you i i think that's true um but those big tantrums do come up because frustration is at its max level so uh, the other part is sometimes the kid is the class clown I've had many of those mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. And you'll see those behaviors where sometimes they will make fun of themselves or they'll make fun of others. Um, sometimes bullying comes into place because they are deflecting or sometimes the behavior is just a deflection. I don't want to, um, I want to make sure that we don't always label all behaviors against other people as bullying. I think sometimes there are some deflections and I think getting to the root of uh, why they're deflecting is really important. So I agree with that. Mm-hmm. They yep. might be deflecting. They might make fun of the exact skill that's they're struggling with. Right. Exactly. Yep. That someone else made a mistake of. Mm-hmm. Yep. That happens a lot. I know adults that do that as well. So true. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other piece I see is that they some kids have obsessions, and they're so. Um, focused on a TV show that they love or a video game that they love or, um, you know, Minecraft for a little while was really big in my classroom. Now it's Fortnite. And now it's Fortnite and and sometimes it's um, Pokemon or something on YouTube and you just cannot get those kids to refocus back and to re-engage on what you're teaching them. And um, my advice to that is... uh, Sometimes you have to engage them in what they love, and and sometimes that's part of building them back up and giving them some encouragement. So reading material about Fortnite. Right, exactly. And so um, a lot of times I will conference with parents, and I will talk to them about, you know, if they're really interested in Minecraft, then maybe you could, um, you know, read some website articles about it. Why is it so popular? Um, you know, are there some new strategies that, that they are learn, you know, that they could learn with an adult, giving them um, a learning opportunity to use what they're interested in and making sure that they are using it in an academic way and having a positive experience with that. Magazine articles are great. 
Um, I often recommend like uh, sports magazines for for kids who are reluctant readers. Um, yeah, because it's short little articles. It's yeah. not so daunting to read. And the same a big with, page. with some website articles as well. I, and uh, Graphic novels are so great. The high-low books that I want to link to, those are really important. But really, sometimes um, when they're struggling, we need to kind of look at their behavior and see why it's happening and look at the root of the cause. And that's true with all behaviors. There's a reason for it. Yes. And sometimes you can find the hook within that. And so we wanted to go over this list with you guys because you probably have one or more struggling readers in your group or in your class, and it might even come as a surprise to you. There are certain students that, until I sat down and did a running rec with them the first you know, month or two months of school, I didn't realize how low readers they were because they were so adept at coping and hiding that secret in the class. Yeah. So... Um, and I was like, oh, I should have known that that student couldn't read. But they are very good at hiding it, too. And so think about um, the way your students are acting in the class, why they're acting like that. Are they hiding the big secret that they can't read? And make sure that you reflect with some empathy on that because a lot of it is anxiety. There's yes. fear related to it. Um, and, you know, these behaviors can be frustrating and impede the learning of others. But there's always a root um, to the behavior. So. And once you identify that behavior and really conference with the student in a safe way where you're supporting them, then, and you start to give them just right work, yes, they will become more engaged in the class and they can truly transform. Oh, absolutely. I believe that all students really are capable of it, but they do have to have a foundation of trust and they have to believe in themselves. Yes, and I've seen students who used to do all of these things and then became much harder workers, much more engaged students after we identified it and after we set goals, got them engaged in their learning, gave them reading skills and manageable pieces that built on each other so that then they could get to about a second grade reading level and start decoding and reading and then they could just take off. It's really exciting, really exciting. Thanks for listening.